Greetings and salutations. I am so glad you have arrived. Welcome to the new year. And welcome to Here's Hoping, my imaginary coffee shop where good conversations will always be on the menu, even though our menu is currently a work in progress. <laughs> yep, my imaginary coffee shop is still in a little bit of disrepair, but we are also discovering so much here. I'm your host and head of construction, Catherine Gabriel Jones. See, I thought I knew this place. I thought I knew every nook and cranny of my imaginary coffee shop, but I have been surprised during this remodeling project. What a shock to discover whole new sections here. Man, this place is gonna look great when we're done. At least, here's hoping. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> Now, one year ago, I was not alone in holding a lot of hopes for what a new year would bring to us. After all, 2020 was oh, a year. Now, 2021 brought some surprises for sure. There were a lot of things that happened in 2021 that I wish had never occurred, but they did. There were a lot of surprises that took me off guard. And I was left still holding those four little letters, H-O-P-E. No matter what occurred in the world or in my life, those four little letters remained. Now, if you've visited my imaginary coffee shop before, you have met Abby Lynn Haskell, and you know what a delight she is. Today, at the beginning of this new year, while I am still in the midst of this remodel and the discovery and construction of my imaginary coffee shop, I'd like to revisit a conversation Abby and I shared for my Friends for the Journey podcast, which is a limited-run podcast produced by the Ministering to Ministers Foundation. What a collection of pearls of wisdom are within this conversation. It's titled, Hope Changes. Man, here's hoping. So, Abby Lynn, I have one first question that I'd like to kind of navigate, because here's what I did. I was looking at broad reach on the website and your BTS profile and your Acton Congregational Church profile, because I always like to try to write up a little summary of, I'm sitting down with Reverend Abby Lynn Haskell, who is the, and um, Abby, I could not come up with a brief <laughs> description. And I, every time I tried, it kept on getting a little bit longer and I was using more words. And so I just decided, would you be okay if we just sit down and we like how many hats do you wear yeah. <laughs> I, I like the creative aspect of ministry yeah <laughs> creativity for the win yes yes <laughs> yeah so there's always some new dream or some new thing to pursue so that's been really a wonderful gift <laughs> well and it was so wonderful to have all of these different portions of this mosaic of your experience and I was really excited to be able to hear about all the different tiles in the mosaic from you. So oh. Reverend Abby Lynn Haskell, <laughs> do you prefer Reverend Abby Lynn or Abby Lynn or Abby? Abby! <laughs> Thank you. Excellent. Yes. So Abby, tell us about all the different tiles that make up oh. the mosaic of you. Oh my goodness. So I love ministry because of the creative aspect. And I learned early on in order to keep that spark alive, I was way healthier and happier doing part-time ministry. So I feel very called to part-time ministry because that allows me to explore all these other pieces of ministry that are so exciting and not feel guilt about doing it. You know, so that's part of the expectation that may be my own head just needing to say okay this 20 hours i can do church and then the, all the other time i can go and explore 
and I have all these other wonderful things I just love to enjoy and explore. I grew up loving camping ministry. Our denomination, our tribe, uses the Pilgrim Lodge, which is in Maine, which is on Lake Cabasconti, and that was one of my life's passions. And I found a love for camping ministry translated into like a retreat ministry, because when you take people out of their usual environment and you create a new reality for them to experience, you know, the place of this new reality, they can explore God in a new way. Yeah. So the retreat ministry was just one that I just adore. And so I, my passion was designing camp experiences for kids and youth and then adults. And then uh, when I met my second husband, he had this beautiful boat and I thought that was really wonderful because I love sailing <laughs> and had done that in college back when I thought I was going to be a marine biologist. And so I fell in love with sailing, so he had a boat. And so uh, I think it's probably because we were still newlyweds. I said, hey, do you want to use the boat? <laughs> <laughs> came up with using it for a ministry. So that's the oh. sailing piece because it's such an easy way to craft a new universe. You know, you just take people right off the of land. Wow. And so that's been a wonderful. Now, of course, COVID-19 shut down like all of our retreats. And, but the other arm of our business is doing a sailing uh, charter business. Oh, wow. So people seriously are still booking because we're using all the COVID, the masks and the clean down and the la la la. Yeah. And we had the most wonderful couple last night, blew me out of the water. I wasn't even on tap to go, but it was such a hot night and I knew the sunset was going to be gorgeous. So what's been great as my husband's also wonderful in supporting all my wild dreams. And so I, <laughs> that's, just, that's a side effect. It's like, oh, I'm done with that one. I'll do another one. So uh, when, when the chance to work on my doctorate came up, I just didn't have time to do all the sailing. And it was pretty ruthless last year. We had close to 200, you know, guests and whack around the island. Sorry, I can't remember the guests. But anyways like 200 times it's like spinning the lawnmower out in the backyard wow you know you just you get used to it yep, um, yep. there's a lot of people but it was exhausting it <laughs> was and so when i started work on my doctorate i was basically waving the white flag and we had met some people through a retreat mm -hmm. um when was a fourth grade teacher she in laconia she has a calling for being in intensely economic need areas but then a calling also for doing sailing and uh, so she's one of our deckhands this year. Anyways, we have her, and then we have Jonathan Boyd, who is this international opera singer, you know, singing in Italy and France. Well, not right now. Not right now. Uh, <laughs> so he's sailing as a captain for us. Wow. So we have two boats, two boats running, and actually on Saturday we actually had enough guests, you know, because you can do the private charter yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Long story short, well, there's no... But last night I just wanted to go and it was so wild because there was a couple that were just come uh, to the area from their honeymoon. They had just gotten married on Saturday and they saw us and really wanted to go sailing. It was so last minute and so they got on and it was amazing because we have shirts that just say Broadreach Ministry and we have it on the boat but we don't talk about the ministry side of our business. It's just mm -hmm. Broadreach sailing. Yeah. But they were like, ministry what's this ministry and what happened was the whole rest of the boat ride was just powerful and then wanting to share where they were in their faith wanting to share their journey and so excited they connected and um it was just a very powerful and empowering experience they had gone through both of them in their lives were struggles with the burden of addiction and coming out the other side and just feeling like their faith and ritual and those pieces were just so important to so it was just this incredibly rich discussion that wow doesn't usually happen and it was a gift to to be a part of that um, God, that's so fantastic it was crazy <laughs> <laughs> And then the other piece I've been developing in this COVID-19 time is the storytelling. I love storytelling. Oh. I started it when um, when I was a kid. I had been diagnosed with this learning disability, auditory processing. So what you would tell me, I wouldn't necessarily get. <laughs> so <laughs> I, learned, I learned how to cope. But one of the things I knew that was very powerful 
um, with story because it could grab hold of my attention. Yeah. And so when I started in ministry, I started in youth ministry. Holy smokes. And I had to do a youth ministry worship service every Wednesday night, nonstop. And they were sixth graders to twelfth graders. Oh, wow. This is Dover, New Hampshire. There's 65 of them that came out every Wednesday. Oh. And so it was it was the, the same preaching, but it was youth you know, hardcore youth. <laughs> yeah. So what would keep their attention would be stories, right? Yeah. So it's like, stick with the story, stick with the story. And that just became this mantra thing for me. Yeah. And I have loved it with studying. My doctoral program is diving into more storytelling and working on teaching storytelling. Oh. So the gift in having a little bit slower sailing season, the gift of not having the retreat season has been developing the storytelling joys to a place where I am teaching uh, sacred storytelling this fall. So people can learn the, just the art of it. There's a, I just did a survey of a whole bunch of different storytellers and, and working on how your brain works and integrating stories and, yeah. and then how it impacts uh, you, you know, and the culture you speak to, the relationship with others. Yeah. And then the worldwide story piece that we're absorbed in as a culture and aren't always aware of what all those pieces are. Like one book we're studying, I loved it because it talks about how within the last few decades, storytelling has become weaponized. Yep. So we have adrenaline needing these fear and mm -hmm. blame stories. Mm -hmm. and, and so those are getting pumped to us and we have an actual biochemical reaction to like gravitate yeah. toward these stories, but they don't sustain reality. That you have to keep feeding the fear and blame stories in order to keep that reality yeah. held up. Mm -hmm. But you have the hope and compassion stories that offer a soothing piece that we're not they're, they're harder to work through and you know and they they don't have that instant gratification of that adrenaline hit or that power rise you know yeah. waking us up but it sustains a community because you know that's like more traditionally that's the hope and compassion stories that's what we that's what's flooded in our gospel that's what's yeah. flooded in our worship yeah. and i don't know if i've answered any of your questions but i definitely had fun talking about it <laughs> <laughs> and that ultimately becomes the most important thing because in either a stained glass window or a mosaic, it's not just the tiles or the colored pieces of glass, but it's everything that holds it together. And that's what you've given to us. Because oh, <laughs> so often in our world, our introductions are, this is my name, this is what I do, and this is how I am seen in the world. But now in this time of COVID-19, and every day that follows afterward, we have to redefine how we move through the world. Yes. And I love the way that you express your story, not just as a linear path, but in the same way that the stars of the constellations give us the story of that shape, you've given us the story of the shape of Abby. I love that. You're so beautiful. You're a beautiful poet. Thank you. <laughs> so here's a question that I have been eager to ask. Oftentimes, I have what I call the classic Catherine question, and it tends to be like metaphorical and stuff, and oh, wow, you know. But... I want to do something different today because I have heard you tell stories and I have loved hearing your stories. So what I would like to ask, I want to shift my question a little bit to, if your journey were a story, how would you tell it? Whoa. If my journey was a story. Okay. So back about 11 years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And that was mm. very, very scary. Um, I had two little ones at home. And it was so strange in my head because I remember one of the thoughts that floated through was, well, I guess this will be good ministry. <laughs> you know, kind of like such a strange, morbid thought. But it was kind of, I, I knew that I was having some firsthand experience in terms of the amount of fear that comes along with cancer and the yeah. amount of uh, upheaval and the amount of, yeah, it just rattles you right to the core. Yeah. And one of my profound things that I didn't know 
that I had to learn was my receiving this diagnosis and I was serving in a church as a program developer and um, which meant that I was actively involved in finding people who had kind of a little notion of a dream and just saying, hey, that's beautiful, let me help you do it. Mm -hmm. and, and affirming them, nurturing them, and lifting them up. That was my version of how to do program development. So I had this role in a church community that um, to have this diagnosis, it was terrifying for me to share it. Yeah. And I didn't want to share it. Mm -hmm. And this was my coming up against feeling responsible for other people's reactions. Oh, um, interesting. And I didn't want to, couldn't handle it, didn't have the space, the bandwidth, the whatever, to handle people's grief around hearing that I had this problem because it was so intense within my own life. I was like, I just, I don't want to handle it. Yeah, yeah. Which is a reaction I know is different uh, if you are, some are able to share and find comfort in having others join in the sharing. Right, so mm -hmm. that's part of the role of pastor. You are one that someone comes to share to, yeah, and there is comfort found in uh, in being able to share with others. I can find comfort in sharing with others, but I am such an introvert mm -hmm. when it's really, 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 really painful. Mm -hmm. uh, I couldn't. It was just exhausting. Yeah, of trying to tell people that I was going to have to go have surgery. I needed a double mastectomy. It was immediate. It was pretty fast. They moved pretty fast. It was like within a month because of how fast the cancer was moving and la up. Um, so it was very, very, very helpful. The senior pastor who I worked with said, well, this is your information that you can choose to handle however you want. And that was very liberating. Wow, yeah. I didn't think about it. I was like, well, yeah, this is my information. You know, it's um, it just never occurred to me mm -hmm. uh, to think that way. Well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially in in such a public setting. You become sort of public property. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I hadn't ever had that feeling, you know, I was conscious of it. Yeah. Wow. What a supportive statement. Yeah. Yep. So what happened was I did come to a point where I felt good, not quite the word. But I felt it would be better to tell than to keep quiet. Yeah. So I had kiddos, right, who were in the Sunday school and who were connected in the community. And mom was, you know, it wasn't quite fair to them to try to keep it a, you know, yeah. it wasn't a secret. It was just. <laughs> yeah, it was a weight that you were carrying. Yeah. Yes. So it was, it was very sweet in that uh, the senior pastor announced it. It sounds so chicken, but it's just all I could handle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, he announced that piece of information. I was present in the sanctuary, in the balcony, up at the back row of the balcony with mm -hmm. a friend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I left the worship service before it even ended, just so I wouldn't have to have that crush of loving sympathy. Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. It was a crush of loving sympathy. No one wanted to hurt me they just you know yep. you know how it is you hear someone that hurts you just want to reach out to them yeah that makes ah. so much sense because there is almost this pressure of feeling like you're under the microscope yes. and there's that line between loving sympathy and the experience of pity and sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between those two especially with something so deeply intimate and personal for we who like that, and it's not that it's not that we don't like people. It's just I kind of like to have I, I like my moat. Yes, I like my moat of privacy. There's a reason we live in Maine. <laughs> so yeah, that makes complete sense to be able to choose whether or not you would be there for that onslaught of hugs and sympathy where yeah. you would have to stay smiling and happy and yes thank you so much and i'm going to be brave and i can't collapse now yes yes it makes so much sense yeah that was exactly it that was exactly it that and there was this strange thing too is like i remember telling doug who's the same person damn it, really, breast cancer? Couldn't I have had a different cancer? But it's just so sexual. You know, that thing of being a woman too and having yeah. that being revealed just felt very vulnerable too. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, all those emotions. So it was a huge learning curve for me 
uh, I just had no idea. No idea. Yeah. I couldn't even explore that in my imagination. And many scenarios I can explore in my imagination. I just had no clue about this one. Yeah. So what did come about was um, the cards were beautiful that could be in their own space and own place where I could start to and people it was even wonderful um, the idea came from someone to set up a kind of barrier so that people who wanted to do meals could contact this person and not contact oh. with me oh. right about trying to orchestrate who's bringing what when and you know it was just it was a lovely little barrier buffer and and people just explaining you know um, yeah I didn't have anybody's feelings hurt that I knew of, but it could have been that I was protected. But I, I, it was it was nice to be able to let people in on my own time. Yeah. And it was fascinating too because in people wanting to express their sympathy could would sometimes relive their own experience with breast cancer, and sometimes those are really scary. I wasn't yeah. done having the surgery, so yeah. I heard really scary stories about. Well, make sure you save your blood because I lost so much blood, and then I had a cardiac arrest on the table. Oh and like, my. This is not helpful. This is so not helpful. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, and that's so true that sometimes the desire to help actually kind of morphs into, but I need to share this. I need to get this off my chest. Yes, yes. In, in loving concern. In, in, yes, in loving concern. Yes, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> oh, I love you so much. I have to tell you this really scary thing. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So the gift that came from it is that there is a place, a space, an understanding of, yes, you know, like I was, had that grim thought at the beginning, well, this will help in ministry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Having way more space to understand uh, the need for space. Yeah. Even as a, as a pastor, if I get wind of something, yeah. I'll be very gentle in my approach to just a text and email, you know, mm -hmm. not, not always as phone call, but just to let them know yeah. of that. And I can preach on this and I, I, um, it comes out every now and then in sermons in different story forms, but there is a grace in learning how to receive love mm -hmm. because it is the power position to always give and serve love. Mm -hmm. Right. And so to be in the place of being able to receive love, uh, is the place of obedience. That's, and it's not one that I explored in my theology. There's even a hymn uh, called Trust and Obey, and I'm thinking, you know, I couldn't do that in my wedding vows. It wasn't about to... Did you to say obey? See that that was a, Did you say yeah, obey? exactly. Exactly. It's like, this has nothing to do with my faith. This is yeah. ridiculous. Um, it's such a crazy concept and it's so submissive and that's not the generation I grew up in and blah, blah, blah. And I found a home for that place of trust and obey being, uh, oh, it had a new voice. It had a new song. It had a new story after that cancer thing. And I'm not quick to say it just because I know this, the later story of using obey now, but as a way to, to release, relinquish uh, that control or power position or whatever to truly trust uh, God and the love that is there, to be able to let that love flow in and find a way to let it flow out as a powerful um, gift to be able to personally receive. And I symbolically did that with flowers. I have a picture montage of the gorgeous flowers that would come in my house. And what I did was I went to sacred faces, which for me was like at the ocean, and I put the petals on the sand. And that was a prayer for me to let the love come in and let the love go out. And that was my returning wow. the love. It felt better than trying to hold all the love, but that's that verse about, right? Pour it over, pour it out, you know, to, so it's overflowing, pack down, overflowing grace and so that I didn't have to try to hold it or be responsible for it, um, but that I could let it go. So I would put it in sacred spaces. It'd be out in the woods and I'd put some flowers and that would be the flower petals. Um, and I would take pictures of it too. And I'd put a poster, uh, a, a picture poster of it as a way just to symbolically find a way to recognize that I'm not going to be able to receive or functionally give back all the abundance of grace I've received, but to let it, to let it flow, wow. um, 
was is helpful. It was just a, a big learning thing for me. Yeah. Well, yeah. and that is so beautifully said that the love that comes in and the love that is received, those really are two parts of the equation. Mm. And our society has had in the media and pick an aspect of society has had a challenge with not just the sharing of love, but also the receiving of love. It's easy for there to be a judgment about the receipt and the embrace of love that's given without having the, well, I have to send a thank you card and, you know, okay, so now I'm done. I don't owe that person anything. What a give and take, like the way that the moon impacts the tide and the tide changes and it flows. That's so beautiful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that was a gift. It was, it's, it's, that was one of my, yeah, yeah, oh. learnings that came Yeah. So. Wow. Well, how did this experience impact your faith? So I think it allowed me to claim my faith as important in ways that uh i didn't quite do before mm. so what came about from that space in time is i had uh my first husband we had gotten married and we got married in a church and he wanted communion in our wedding and we were both from the same tribe and um early on in our marriage he became an atheist and, and he was a very, very devout atheist. And so, mm -hmm. by the t and that was oh, okay. You know, we just kind of marched along and gave space for each other. There was enough room mm -hmm. because a lot of our values were the same, but we just didn't do faith the same. Yeah. And what became very real was an, um, a loneliness on my part where there was no partner for faith while I had plenty of friends there was an emptiness um, mm. there and a realization I was hiding a lot of my faith stuff in oh, effort to yeah. not fight about it or talk about it. So what came about after was um, a, you know, divorce is always hard, but a good separation. We're, you know, we're good friends and we're still, you know, we're co-parenting and we have two beautiful boys and um, I remember saying to him in the midst of the court, I can't wait to be your friend on the other side of this. Oh, wow. So it's, it's a good friend. He's yeah. a good friend. But a, a need for me to recognize on my part the desire to have a mm -hmm. life mate. And I was single for a good three years after. And I, you know, it wasn't like I needed to go find someone, but it was infinitely more peaceful to be solo mm -hmm. with my faith feeling about expressing it than trying to be in a relationship where mm -hmm. somehow we had this dynamic going whatever it was it just yeah. needed to be let rest let it rest so um uh i forgot your question you've answered it oh good <laughs> so beautifully because part of how you've answered it so beautifully that how experiences impact our faith is how we become reintroduced to these parts of our lives and sometimes experience the vibrance that we had overlooked or perhaps not seen as important as our spirit or our soul or, or ho however we name that part of our life to really be. That's beautifully said. Wow. Yep. Well, it's, that's beautifully said. Right back at you. <laughs> Holy buckets. So, Abby, in the midst of all of these beautiful again i keep coming back to this image of this mosaic that is also a stained glass window and because both of them are kind of the same there there are these little colored pieces that become this way of seeing a big beautiful story and in this experience of the stories that you've told and the experiences that you've had how has hope unfolded in your life and changed in your experience. Yeah, I remember um, learning in chaplaincy, our chaplain who was teaching us, our instructor is Dr. Reverend Rex Garrett. And I was mm, 23, 24 at the time when I did it. 
And it was very powerful. And it, I can still see him sitting there saying it. He says, he just said, hope can change. And so that was very powerful for me in even understanding it in my life that hope has a fluid aspect. Hope has a way of being made new. And part of that trust and obey is to trust that a hope comes about that maybe no one anticipated before. So the... Um, wow, I, I have chills all over. That's so beautiful. Hmm. It was very, very helpful last week. Oh, it was a killer week for us. There was a lot of tears, there was a lot of talk. My husband's brother, his three brothers, his younger brother, so he's the oldest, his younger brother, who had the first grandchild 29 years ago. His, his boy, Eric, uh, in the Jersey Shore, had gone uh, to his friend's house, it, he's dove into the water a million times, but that particular time he dove in sideways jump um, and he broke his neck. He <gasps> took him 10 minutes before they could even get him out of the water, 20 minutes oh. CPR, uh, had the oh. life flight into the hospital. Um, so all last week we kept getting these reports about Eric and you know, first one is if he makes it through, he'll be paralyzed from the neck down. Still looking, we're thinking there's some brain waste. He's, he's oxygen. He's still not exchanging oxygen. So it was it was a daily like this is Eric. This is Eric. What's going on? This is and he's, he's a vibrant boy. The hope, you know, the, the request going out, um, praying for a miracle, praying for a miracle, praying for a miracle, and the the courage to say, yep, this is my family asking for a miracle. This is my family asking, and to to put the hope in the miracle, yeah. and then to get the little pieces of news. Um, you know, they've, they've done an MRI, there's brain activity, they can do another one. Another MRI, okay, one neurologist is saying that there's not enough activity, that this brain damage is so severe he won't be able to open his eyes. They want a second opinion, pray for a miracle, pray for a miracle, with a second opinion. And um, the, the other neurologist said, nope. Wow. Uh, same, same opinion. And so last week, the story that came to mind for myself, um, was that one of Jesus coming home to Capernaum and we're getting out and the crowd started coming to his house and the crowds are so thick they couldn't even get in the front door yeah. but there they came and they came bringing a paralyzed man on the mat hmm. they started sending us pictures Eric's friends at 29 were so grief stricken they set up tents in the parking lot of a hospital and you see all these young adults just packed in which was so good for my husband's brother yeah. and family um and they all wow. waited their five minutes just to go in and to be with them to you know talk to them wow. so i kept having that image of you know the friends that brought this paralyzed man horrible carrying on a mat and it was so crowded yeah couldn't even get in the door so when they, they go up on the roof they do the outrageous. They go up on the roof. They go home and they lower this man down. And Jesus, I can see him. He looks up and he sees their faith. And it's on their faith that Jesus looks at this man and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Wow. Based on the friend's faith. And that sets everybody in a tizzy. So this whole story is living me yeah. with me in this week. You know, here's the paralyzed man, here's the friend. And I needed this story. I kept reading it and I kept living into it, um, the images. And um, what hit me uh, in particular, and it was by Thursday, um, and it was still so beautiful to hear it. And I, and I, and I didn't preach on this because it's so tender. Eric's still on life support. They're still um, using the time. Um, it's as, as, as mom of the matriarch, uh, Bob's mom is there and just said, Eric's giving us time to say goodbye. Mm. You know, so yeah. they're just, they're not moving fast on this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They know they're not going to do the feeding tubes and all that stuff, but they just, you know, just, just wait here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I didn't preach on this, but what came to me by, the, by Saturday, by Saturday night, was when Jesus had spoken this, you know, your sins are forgiven, it kicked off the religious leaders saying right there, oh, he can't do that, that's blasphemy. This is just God who can do this. Yeah. 
And Jesus and his spirit heard them. And he said, what is easier to say to this man? Your sins are forgiven or pick up your mat and walk. So Jesus lays out the impossible and then proceeds to do the impossible. He says, so you know, just so you know. He talks to me, I say to you, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And for me, I heard that and I looked at it again. I said, go home. He didn't say pick up your mat and walk. He said, go home. Wow. So what I heard in that was hope changing. That Eric at 29, honey, is to go home. This is the hope. It's time to go home. And for the realization that we as a family need to, you know, release him Mm -hmm. to go home, Mm -hmm. you know, um, changes the miracle. What's the miracle? Yeah. God's got you. So that's the power of hope changing and how I cling to a story. You know, give me the hope here. Give me the hope. He's not going to come. He's not going to pick up his mat and walk. Yeah. But he's going to be released. He's going to be freed to go home. Yeah. To go home. So. Yeah. That's. um, Wow. That's the gift of where um, I feel very blessed, very thankful for the story that can come and heal and bless with hope. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And what a gift and an opportunity for this unfolding of the experience of hope. That it becomes this, as you said, hope grows, it changes. And this is mine. Yeah. I told my husband, because I can share it with him, and he wanted to share it with his mom. I said, just, I, I said, you're welcome to. I said, I'm not there yet because that's their journey. I don't want to impose my hope mm-hmm. because that would sound yeah. to some ears absolutely heinous. So I'd never want to assume that my hope belongs to someone else, but to believe so deeply yeah. in the fact that hope changes. So yeah. cling to that. Keep on with the relationship. Keep on with that crazy trust and obedience I'm still wrestling with. <laughs> that there is hope. That's the thing. I just yeah. so that that's just my little story. So I but I believe what a wonderful resonance back to the story of hearing your colleague make that announcement at church and your recognition of, you know what, right now this is a story that I need to walk alone. Yeah. I need to hold this hope for myself and allow my story to be my own. Your story can be yours and your story may help me. But right now, I need to find my story, get my hands on my story so that it can grow and really flower in my own life and my own faith. Yay, yes. What an honorable and respectful expression of love that you have for others who feel such pain. Wow, that's, we could use that in this world. We (laughs) could. I'm looking at you, social media. Just saying, casting a little side eye. And that also speaks to such resilience. And that resilience is soft and fluid like water. And that unfolding of hope to be, to grow and to shift and to change. Holy buckets, Abby. This is awesome. (laughs) It's so sweet. I love sharing with you. Thank you, dear. This is just really, man, this like makes my day. (laughs) Not only do you love stories, you are really good at them. Would you mind if I ask you a question that I'm kind of excited about? Sure. I love this question because every time I ask this question, there's a different answer and it unfolds in this new way. If you could go back in time to your previous self and tell your previous self one thing, what time would you go back to and what would you say to yourself? So an amazing thing in ministry is how much in the leadership role you can be lifted way too high and on the flip side, (laughs) squashed really low and be at fault. Uh, I would love to um, have told myself, I think a survival skill that I learned um, 
and I can tell it was a spiritual leader. She came in to do a talk with another uh, leader in the congregation who really wanted to explore different avenues of faith. And so she spoke, her background was as a medium. So she worked regularly with people speaking in spiritual ways to ones who had passed or healing things like this. And it was fascinating because she gave me a very practical piece of working with people that I wish I had heard earlier. Mm. So when I start to feel that someone is wanting of my soul's energy in ways that start to deplete me, you know, there are incidences, there are these personality makeups, there are these positions that sometimes as a leader people want and they really want to take what you have and I was too new in ministry to not get this but she spoke and it stuck with me that when she starts to feel that she surrounds herself that herself in a white light and that person in a white light and for me how it's translated is when I start to feel someone digging in the, the claws that they're wanting something of me that it will mm. that is taking on my life's breath you know that's taking of a depletion mm. that i have that now as a call to prayer oh. that this is not me i have nothing that that will fix that hurt i have i don't have anything that will repair that wound but god does yeah. so instantly to surround them in that protective white light that heals them as i listen mm. and surrounds me it doesn't remove myself from that work of listening with empathy and love. But what keeps intact for me is a significant amount of my spiritual energy. Wow. So that I can walk away from those positions, whether it's intense anger. <laughs> and I've had that. I've had that like yep. at least, you know, a handful of times right before worship. I'll have someone who come in and just blast, yeah. you know, tears and everything. And I'm supposed to go you know, and lead worship with a whole coolness and calmness. Oh, but luckily yeah. I have that in my pouch to be able to connect with them in a ways that has God nurturing them and not me. Wow. So that I wish I could tell to my younger self saying, you do not have to kill yourself in ministry. That's not for you to do. That wow. is God's work to do. And here's how you can tap into it. And I still tap into it. I'll start to feel it in a phone call or a personal confrontation, you know, be it anger, be it hostility, be it um, tears, be it grief or uh, blah, 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 blah. All those things being manipulated, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That it's, uh, they're wanting something more than I could ever offer. It's God's to fix. And so I will do my small part and God will do the rest. So that's been a huge lifesaver. Oh. in this work <laughs> wow this this is a sabbath meal a feast <laughs> that has been laid out before my heart and my soul to experience imagistically this phenomenal message <laughs> because you're so spot on it anyone who engages in any form of mystery of ministry yes that, which is a mystery. And there are those times where anyone in any form of ministry, of teachers, healthcare workers, uh, coaches, clergy, uh, lay ministry, nonprofit advocates, even people who are in fields where you would never expect it could be a form of ministry. It's still that place where they are in a public venue. Yep. And so often, or occasionally that wounding can occur and what a beautiful image of this is this is more than i can fix i cannot address this but i can express a care and a love and just give you over to the source god yeah. Yeah. wow Oh, you got a lot of wisdom. Holy buckets. <laughs> wow. I love that Hard question. Oh, yes. Oh, and so it's so true. It is so true. Abby, if they, if people wanted to learn more about uh, Broadreach Ministry or uh, Acton Congregational Church or Abby Lynn Haskell, and the, <laughs> I'm so excited about the work you're doing in your doctorate, Yay. where would they be able to look on the internet? Uh broadreachministries.com has my contact 
info and some of the things that are happening. So, Excellent. you know, while our retreat season has been put on hiatus, we're doing a sunrise worship uh, off a boat. That's a funny story. So every Sunday at 4.30, I go out in the ocean on a fishing vessel <laughs> and we read scriptures and prayers <laughs> and we say, yay, God, here's the sun. And we say it even in the fog. Wow, because the sun is there, whether we can see it or not. <laughs> so we're doing a regular uh, Facebook Live Sunday morning, sunrise worship on a boat, calling it boat church. So we're doing boat church and that's there and my contact info is there and classes there so it's fantastic (laughs) well we will include that link in the show notes as well as anything else that you would like to include but i'm a big believer that all of my guests have phenomenal gifts to share and in that can be not only in the work that they themselves do but things that have inspired them and things that have kind of lit the fire and lit those candles in their mind This whole podcast is about lifting up all of everyone who ministers and ministering to ministers that produces this podcast has worked for 25 years to support (laughs) clergy who've been (laughs) wounded. And in their next 25 years, they want to expand to all ministers of all walks and all faiths to expand from their Christian ministers and Jewish rabbis and imams and and to really expand to, my God, can you imagine how hard the nurses are working right now or the teachers or the, my God, I was at the grocery store the other day and I was thanking the clerks and I was overwhelmed with emotion and gratitude and was standing there blubbering like a goofball. And I was, what surprised me the most was how grateful they were for my thanks. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you're doing that. Yeah. (laughs) We need more of of that. I reach out to you through Wonka Vision. Thank you. And I to you. This has been such a joy. Thank you, Kathy. This has. Yes. Thank you, Abby. (laughs) I'm so grateful to have you for a friend for the journey. And I'm really grateful for your time. Oh, thank you. This has been just a gift in my day. I would treasure it. There are a lot of stories in the world about hope. Think of Pandora's box. Think of how hope is presented in media throughout the world, in myths, in legends. Think about your own attitude and experience and opinion about hope. What does it mean to you? Is it static? Does it change? Does it shift? Is it always out of reach? These past two years have been filled with thwarted hopes, with dreams that have been broken or shattered, with lives that have been upended. And if we are to believe the myths and the legends that we are told of how hope comes into the world, what hope means and could mean for us, then maybe it matters that hope changes in our mind, in our lives, in our imagination. How does that happen? How does hope become flexible? How does it change? How do we change? I sure don't know what this world is going to be like in a year. I sure don't know what my life is going to be like in a year. I sure don't know. But I hope. And maybe, just maybe, Maybe that's a little bit of a spark for my own life, for your life, for the love that can grow between us, and for the world that we can live in. I'll continue to hope. I'll continue 
to change. I'll continue to discover, and I will continue to remodel and construct my imaginary coffee shop so that I can have a beautiful, new, sparkling menu for you filled with conversations with remarkable people. Thank you for stopping by my imaginary coffee shop today and for having patience with our current state of affairs. <laughs> Be sure you watch your step on your way along your path. And here's hoping that you have a little bit of kindness, a little bit of flexibility, and some unexpected hopes fulfilled along your way. I'm your host, Catherine Gabriel-Jones. And remember, Here's Hoping is still around, even though we're not quite presentable at the moment. If you are interested in having a conversation with me in my future imaginary coffee shop once we open, which hopefully will happen soon, please feel free to send me an email at hereshopingpodcast at gmail.com or reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram. Here's Hoping Podcast is on Twitter, but you know, I gotta admit, I don't often go out there, but I'll try. Audio support for construction has been provided by Zapsplat. Original artwork for Here's Hoping has been created by Ty Sorex with additional graphics created with Canva. And I want to thank Seth Jones for the music which I have included within this episode. Thank you, Seth. And today I'm going to revisit another classic quote. This is from the Talmud. And boy, does it ever seem pertinent today. Here goes. Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. Man, I'll never get tired of that quote. No matter what table you happen to be sitting at, no matter where your feet happen to be, no matter what the weather is like in your world right now, just remember, I believe in you. We're going to make it through. Until next time, take care of yourself. Bye-bye.